Open up in your Bibles to Colossians. Uh, in the new year, I um, often like to think about the future. Maybe you're the same. Uh, December ends and the year's ending and you start thinking about the plans for the next year. And maybe some of you set goals, resolutions. Maybe you've had that long talk with your spouse or some one in your family or a friend about your year and the things you're hoping to do. Well, I like doing that with my family. Ashley and I got away the last few days and spent a lot of time thinking about the upcoming year and making plans. But I also like doing it with the church. And one of the things that I like to do is to look ahead and jot down what you might call a dream, what you might call looking in the future in your, just your hopes. What, what would you, if you could just imagine up uh, an ideal circumstance, envision an ideal future, what would it look like? I think it's helpful to kind of think that way and then start praying and planning and hoping to get that way by actually making steps forward. But I jotted some of these things down for our church as a way of kind of thinking about the future. Listen to some of the things I wrote down. We baptize a number of people each year because our members share the gospel clearly and regularly with their friends and neighbors. We regularly have a packed membership class with many people going through it for their second or third time, not because they necessarily need it themselves again, but because they want to walk through it with some new believers who have just recently begun attending the church. Every member understands his or her role to make disciples. And there's a culture of love and discipleship happening here among us. Homes are regularly open to visitors. Lives are connected. Burdens are halved. Joys are doubled. Marriages and families are strong. As men and women are encouraged to embrace their unique callings, and as a result, we are watching a generation of children being raised in the truth. We have a growing number of young men who are hoping to be trained and equipped for leadership in the church, future preachers, pastors, missionaries, some of whom we're hoping to send out for future church revitalizations or church plants. A large percentage of our people are trained in biblical counseling. And we've made our counseling services available to the community as an outreach, and we're regularly seeing people from the community added to the church through this ministry. There are a growing number of growth groups because the leaders are being developed and equipped, and the groups are growing and sending out more people to start more groups. Our church has a global mindset. Some among us are hoping and praying to be sent to the unreached peoples. And those who are not able to go are praying regularly for various nations, missionaries, and opportunities in foreign lands. I think I could go on. Uh, my imagination could get ahead of me and I could just keep thinking of all the things I hope that would happen. You might listen to some of these things and say, hey, we're not really there. Um, nah, I don't know how realistic that is. And I would say, well, you're right, we're not there yet. And that is why I like in January, the new year, to think about growth. 
to think about growth. We're talking about growth. For any of these things to happen, for new converts, for deepening relationships, for strong families, for developing leaders, any of these things to happen, there needs to be growth, spiritual growth. For us to be influential in the community, there needs to be growth. For us to have multiplying ministry, there needs to be growth. And so the theme of this morning's message message is growth. And we're going to see uh, very practically how this must happen this year by looking in Colossians of how growth occurs in a church, how we get there. All these things are great, but you might say, hey, this is a little pie in the sky. This is a little... Uh, maybe off in the long-distance future, what has this to do with us? Well, we're going to talk about growth. Because if we can't get there this year, at least we can take a step forward. And we can begin thinking and praying. And I want to get to the heart of growth. There might be all kinds of way. When I say growth, you, you think about something. Maybe you're thinking about some marketing campaign or some kind of strategy to get knockers on every... Uh, Uh, house in the community, strategies like that. None of that would be wrong to do. I'm not necessarily talking about that, though. Not necessarily talking about some event that could draw a bunch of people in or anything like that, or just filling the seats just for the sake of growing the numbers of the people here. We're not necessarily talking about that. We don't want to manufacture growth in this church. We're talking about, when, when I say growth, real, genuine, from the inside out, spiritual growth wrought by the Holy Spirit, supernatural, something that cannot be accounted for by human terms alone. We want this church to be a standing monument of the goodness, faithfulness, and even power of the living God. I hope that this church is such a place where people who don't believe the same things we believe at least would be able to look at it and kind of be confused. Why do they gather? Why is it growing? Why do people want to be there? Why is it so influential in the community? So that we would be able to say, well, it's not our ploys, it's not our systems, it's not our strategies, it's a living God. And this church is a standing monument of the faithfulness of God, not the cleverness of man. We want this growth, spirit-given growth. We want to be a growing church that is growing in our depth of love, our depth of commitment to God and to one another. I don't know if you've ever been a part of such a church, have you? A church that is uh, got momentum on their side because the people are embracing the vision God has for the church, the mission God has them on. They're embracing one another as co-workers in the gospel. They're invested in one another's lives as a joy, having the mission set before them, having running the race with companions on either side. Uh, It's a great thing to be a part of a church like this. I think we're in the right direction, friends. I think we're heading in the right direction. And my prayer this year as I think about the future for 2019 is that we would take more steps in this way, that we would call upon the Lord even with more fervency that we would look to his word with eagerness, praying, asking, hoping, and even anticipating that he would bless us with real, deep, spiritual growth. 
Don't you want to be that church, that gospel-sharing, disciple-making, neighbor-reaching, leader-developing, church-multiplying, nation-reaching church? Isn't that a thrill to be a part of? Well, this morning we're going to look at a way to get there. There there are many things we need to do and many things that the Lord must do. It's something we can't really make with our own hands. But I want to look at least one ingredient to this. And I have already invited you to open your Bibles to Colossians. I want you to turn to chapter 2. Excuse me if I cough for a second here. (coughs) 2, verses 6 and 7. We're going to look at the two verses, but we're really going to zero in on one main idea. Colossians chapter 2. Hope you're there. Two verses, verses 6 and 7, they read this way. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The main verb In this letter here, this is actually the main two verses in the entire letter to the Colossians that the great apostle Paul wrote all those years ago. He wrote this letter to the Colossian church. The Colossian church was tempted to turn away from Christ because all these other teachings were creeping in that were saying Christ is good, but he's not enough. He's good, but you need philosophy. He's good, but you need these certain ascetic types of practices. He's good, but add all these other things to your life. And Paul wrote to say, you need Christ. Christ is sufficient. Christ is all you need, and and now in the very center of the letter, chapter 2, he's saying, okay, you have received Christ, so walk in Him. That's the main verb in this entire book, walk in Christ. As you received Him, walk in Him. And then he gives some qualifiers to the way we are supposed to walk in Him. Rooted, he says. Built up in Him, he says. Established in the faith, he says. Abounding in thanksgiving, he says. And I want to look at these three ideas related to the way we're supposed to walk. Do you see them right there in the text? How are we supposed to walk? Rooted, built up, and established. Those are the three words we're going to look at. Rooted, built up, and established. Let's look at them one by one. Rooted in Christ. If we are going to grow this year, here's what we must do as we walk with the Lord. It begins with being rooted in Christ. That word in the Greek is in the perfect tense, which indicates a once-for-all type of experience. This isn't something you do again and again and again. This is something that Paul would tell his readers, you need to root yourself in Christ, be rooted in Christ. Your walk is rooted once for all in Jesus Christ, and your entire life as you walk with Him is tied in there's a depth of commitment to Jesus. Now, what he's speaking against is what you might, if we're using the rooted imagery, would be something like a tumbleweed, right? These big plants that grow up, and they have this little, little tiny stem, and as soon as they kind of dry out and the winds pick up, the whole thing breaks, and you see these things going around in the desert. The roots uh, break off, and the plant tumbles around. The opposite of that is what Paul's getting at. Real roots, that as soon as you put your roots down, you stay down. You go deep. You're not pulling out of Christ and saying, no, maybe I'll try something else. Maybe this other thing's got something for me. The book of Colossians is all about the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all forms of other worldly wisdom. 
all other forms of philosophy, all other experiences. And Paul is saying, in your life as you walk, be rooted in Jesus. Don't let the doubts creep in that you actually have a better shot at attaining true wisdom in other places. Don't think that Jesus isn't enough for you. Don't think that Jesus is a good add-on to your life, but he's not going to be sufficient for some of my needs, and so for some of my needs, I need to go in other places. To be rooted is to once for all set your life on Christ to say, he is the answer to my life's questions. He is the solution to my life's problems. I need nothing else. See, in chapter 2, verse 8, you could see it. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Uh, Of course, in those days, even just as much as it's true in our days, philosophy is taught and there's nothing necessarily wrong with studying philosophy. But in often cases, and especially in these days, the philosophies were completely anti-Christ. And you would say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but to really be wise in the world and to really understand how life works, I need to understand philosophy. And so the simple Christian that would just put their simple faith in Jesus Christ would often be looked down upon if they didn't know philosophy, empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul would say, you don't need to be captive by philosophy. Other people in the church were saying that you need to have some certain rituals. Uh, You need to uh, go through certain motions in order to be really spiritual. You need to have certain types of experiences. Isn't this true in our day? Often spiritual maturity is equated with having certain experiences. And if you have these experiences, then that means you really know Jesus or you're really mature. And in chapter 2, verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you. Questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. He's basically saying all these rituals that people are doing and they're saying, hey, in order for you to be really mature, you got to do this. Paul's saying, no, you don't let people pass judgment on you for that. It's not about that. It's not about those things. In verse 18, let no one disqualify you. He starts talking about these people who thought you had to have these ecstatic and often bizarre experiences. Don't let people disqualify you if you're not having these experiences, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on into detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Really, his solution, verse 19, not holding fast to the head, that is Christ. The solution to life is to hold fast to Jesus Christ. So the idea is this, friends, uh, is we think about 2019, we are called by Paul to root ourselves in Christ, that the walk forward, the growth we have must be rooted in Jesus. Now, just as an aside, I, I hope this is really clear, we Christians don't hold to the belief that our system is what's getting us to heaven. And because we have a system and this system is, you know, we go through the system and we have all these lists that we check off, these items that we need to do, and if we complete the system or we operate within the system, then because we do it good enough, God saves us. It's not based on a system. The system isn't what saves. What Colossians is clear about and what Paul 
makes clear is that it's not the system that saves. It's not the rituals. It's not attaining to a level of knowledge. It's not attaining to a certain measure of wisdom. It's not having these certain types of experience. Listen, we Christians are trusting in one thing, namely Jesus Christ, the person. See, the good news that we proclaim is this, that God being perfect, ho- perfectly holy, God having created everything and therefore owning everything, even us, we are created by Him. God therefore deserves all worship and all glory from all His creatures. And the message of Christianity, which starts as kind of bad news, is that we have not lived up to His glory. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is, is though that we, we, we admit that we're sinners, that God, out of his amazing love, though we could not deserve it, and though we could not do enough by the works of our hands to climb the ladder back to heaven or to be reconciled to God on our own terms, God sent his son, Jesus Christ. That's the message of Christmas, isn't it? The incarnation of the Son of God, God's love coming in the world as a person, a person who lives perfectly, who lives without sin, who goes voluntarily to the cross. Why? To take on the sins of anyone who would ever believe, to pay sin's penalty on behalf of those who trust Him. So then He could rise from the dead, victorious over sin, Satan, and death, and hell. And then, as the victorious Savior, He offers free salvation, not to people who think they can work and earn it, but to those who know they can't, humble themselves before God and say, I need a Savior. Jesus is our hope, see? Jesus is a living man. He is fully God, fully man, offering himself to us. He is here with us. He's alive today, and we are to build our lives like trees rooted into him, Christ, the person. What does it mean to be rooted in him? Think of of a tree right? The, the roots go in deep, and you can't walk out to an oak tree out in our big field and just push it over, can you? No, when you're rooted, you're, you're stable. And this is what Christ offers to Christians, stability. He offers you stability in life because you have a restored relationship with God. God is your Father, those who trust in Jesus, And as a loving father, he provides for his household. He gives you what you need. He takes you through dark times, as we sung about, but he will never leave you nor forsake you. He does it all for your own good. There's stability. What are you rooted in? See, the other thing that a root represents is not only security, but nourishment. If you have a tree that's by water or a tree that's in the middle of the desert... One's not getting much nourishment. See, we're called to be rooted in Christ. Why? Because in Christ we have all the nourishment we need. He cares for our weary souls, doesn't he? Those of you who have walked with Jesus have experienced his tenderness, haven't you? What a friend that we have in Jesus. He is gentle with sinners like us. He cares for us. He is the good soil that we are to root ourselves in. And so we are to be rooted in 
Jesus Christ. So if you are a Christian and you're thinking about the future, you're thinking about this next year, here's one thing that you must do is root yourself in Christ. Remind yourself of who He is and then by God's grace resolve to plant yourself in Christ. Yes, He is in you and you are in Him. And in Christ, there's perfect union of relationship. And yet, mysteriously, you are called to make decisions to root yourself in Him, to seek Him, to know Him. And so root yourself in Christ. Part of the walk is we are walking in Christ. We are to be rooted in Christ. Here's the second word. We are to be rooted. We are to be built up. Built up. Rooted is in that perfect tense, right? Once for all, you root yourself in Christ. You give yourself to Christ. If you're not a believer, rooted means for the first time you turn away from whatever system of belief you've thought is true in the past and you look to the risen Savior and you trust Him. I invite you, if you're not yet saved, you could trust Him this morning. Root yourself in Him and He will by no means turn you away. He will save you. Forgive all your sins. And that's how you're rooted in Christ. But that's just the beginning. What we are called also to do, look at this, rooted and built up in Him. Built up. That verb is in present test. We are to be built up regularly, continually, repeatedly growing. This is the idea of progress, growth. See, Paul is uh, kind of funny here because he mixes metaphors. Uh, I always think mixed metaphors are kind of funny. You, you get first the imagery of a tree, right? Be rooted. And then in the next breath, Paul is not talking no more about a tree. He's now talking about a building. This is the imagery now he brings up. We are to be rooted and then we are to be built up. Uh, so now he's speaking of growth. The foundation is our roots. We are holding on to Christ, we are finding our stability in Christ, we are finding our nourishment from Christ, and then we are to be built up in Christ. The imagery is that each one of us Christians here are like buildings. It would be appropriate to walk around with a sign on your back or on your front or wherever you want to put it, under construction. Because that's the imagery he has here, a building that's being built. Something that is, you lay the foundation and then you get those beams and then you put up the, the, the facade of the building and you build that thing up. And he's saying, just as uh, you grow in the Lord, it's like a building. You are to be being built in Christ. When I was um, in college, I worked at the Staples Center where the Lakers play. It was kind of the side gig that my friend somehow uh, helped me get this job. And the job was to go and sell candy. So I was one of those guys, selling candy, throwing candy out to people down the Staples Center aisles. Well, when I was working there, there was across the street from, a sta from the Staples Center, uh, this huge hole. And there was this construction site. And I would drive in and I would look at it and I couldn't see any building. It was just to me, from the angle I saw, it just looked like a big emptiness, a deep hole, and I would pass by it regularly, and I was worked over the, the span of months, I saw little things begin to change. There was a, a foundation being laid, and there were beams being put up. Uh, I want you to imagine, though, uh, if you went there today, 
and you visited the Staples Center, and there was still, across the street, this big, empty void. A a building that's got started but never got completed. Maybe you've actually been to a place like this. Uh, There are places where the building got started, and for whatever reason, it never got finished. Maybe a foundation was laid, and maybe beams got put up, and then the project just got abandoned. Uh, They just left it. Friends, that is an anomaly that's not supposed to happen. And when we're looking at the Christian life, it is not supposed to be that your building is halfway done and then you just stop thinking about growth. If you were to call yourself a building or think of yourself as a building, would you be under construction still? Or have they given up on growing you? Or have you given up on seeking to grow in Christ? Seeking to be built up? Are you being built up? Or are you more like the the project that's just sitting there and no one's really working on it? As we think about the new year, I want to just press before you this image that you are under construction and God intends for you to be growing. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Christ, reflect with me. Was last year a year of spiritual growth? Was your faith deepened? Did your joy increase? Did your commitments to Jesus and to your church strengthen? Did patience blossom? Are you that type of believer that, like wine, gets better with the passage of time? Are you getting kinder and gentler as the years go by? Are you praying more and worrying less? Are you smiling more, scowling less? Did the passage of another year make you slightly more cantankerous and grumpy? Or noticeably more gracious, filled with more delight? I ask all these questions for you to reflect and ask yourself, are you growing? We are to be walking rooted in Christ. That is the once for all claim that Christ is my hope, my stability, my nourishment, He's my everything, but are you also being built up? growing. So you're building, the building of your life will not be completed until Jesus takes you home to glory. Until then, you are called to grow, to be built up. Now look at the third word that we're looking at here. We're rooted, we're built up, but lastly, we're established in the faith. Established. Some translations use the word strengthened. We are to be strengthened or established. This is also, the tense of the word is meant to communicate that we're, this is happening continually. It's happening repeatedly. It's not something done once. It is something that we're doing throughout life. We're being established. We're growing. We're being strengthened. Now, I want you to notice something because there's a difference between this and the last one. We're rooted in Christ, built up in Christ. But then look at what it says here. Established in Christ. The faith. What does that mean? 
established in the faith. Well, whenever you see faith in the New Testament, it, it usually or often has the article the before it, the faith. And whenever you see the word faith with the in front of it, it's not referring to an individual's subjective faith. It's referring to the body of doctrine that we call sound doctrine, sound theology, the truth of Scripture, the truth of Christianity, sound words. In Jude, uh, the writer writes telling his people to contend for the faith. And what he means by that is fight for the truth. Fight for sound doctrine. Make sure truth is protected. In other places where the word faith is not accompanied by an article, it's just simply referring to an individual's personal and subjective faith. Now, notice what he says here. Be established in the faith, in the truth, in the doctrines, in the theology, in what the New Testament and the Old Testament together and combined teach us about God, about Christ, about who we are, about what our calling is in the world. We are to be established, how? In truth, doctrine, theology, the faith. If you want to grow in 2019, if you want to be not only rooted but not only being built up, to be strengthened and established so that you're useful in the hands of your master, then you must understand that you are to be drilling deep into the faith that you profess is true, the doctrines revealed by God in His holy word. See, listen, so frequently... Maybe you've done this. I know I have in the past. So frequently, we think that spiritual growth is a complex, hard-to-understand thing. In the beauty of the book of Colossians, maybe you could just read this in your spare time. The letter makes clear that, that spiritual growth is not a big mystery. It's not reserved for the intellectual elites those who can handle philosophy and those who are called the, the, the smart ones in the room, those are the ones that can understand spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, friends, it's all about Jesus Christ, being rooted in Him, being built up in Him, being established in Him. And so, okay, you're saying, well, what does this mean practically? Jesus, being rooted in Jesus. What, okay, what do you mean? How do I grow and be built up in him? How am I established in the faith? Here, the, the answer, it's really actually pretty simple. The way we grow, rooted, built up, and established, is by, listen, going deep in our study, meditation, an understanding of who Jesus is as revealed from Genesis to Revelation. In other words, if you want it even more condensed, there is one thing you must do in 2019 if you want to grow. There's one thing from which every other thing comes. It's not the only thing you do, but it's the source. It's the spring of all growth and all life. And everybody who will be built up must start here. It is the spring out of which spiritual growth comes. What must you do? Maybe you know where we're going. Maybe you know where we're headed with this. Here's application. We're going to spend the rest of this morning 
thinking through application, what must you do? Here it is. You must devote this year to the Word of God. If we want to grow as a church, if you want to grow as an individual, if you want to see your friends grow, we all must embrace this as the revealed truth from heaven, God speaking to us so that we know Him, so that we know ourselves, so that we know our world, so that we know what in the world we're here supposed to do. God has spoken. This word is true. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is the revelation, divine revelation from God to us. And if we want to be built in Christ, if we want to be rooted in Christ, we need to be established in the faith. I don't know where you've been in the past on this, but my encouragement and prayer for our church is that maybe this year is a year that you devote to the Scriptures like you've never have in the past. Maybe you've never read through the Bible. That's just where you are in your own Christian walk with the Lord. And maybe this is the year you say, I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to read from beginning to end. Maybe this is a year where you didn't ever have any quiet time where you just spent thinking and meditating on the revealed truths of God. And so you haven't been really rooted, built up, and established in the faith. Well, maybe this is the year where you say, I'm, I'm going to do it by the help of God, by His grace. I'm going to commit to Scripture. I want you to turn over in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. The, the very beginning of the, the book of Psalms. It's kind of like the front door into all 150 psalms. It lays the foundation for all the rest of them. I, wanna, I want you to follow along, and we're going to read uh, the beginning portion of it, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Sound familiar? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Think about that. Isn't that an amazing statement? You want to take that one home with you. Maybe underline it. In all that he does, he prospers. This man, the blessed man described by God in his word, is the one characterized by one attitude and one action. It is an attitude of delight. He delights in the word of God. And the action is he meditates on the word of God. Here is someone who is rooted in the Word of God, delighting in it, meditating on it. He is like a tree planted by the streams of fresh water, drinking its refreshment every day. What are you planted by? You can't go a day without voices speaking to you, voices from the culture, voices from the internet, from TV, from the movies out there, the media message, the narrative that's out there. You can't go a day with voices not coming into your mind and starting to shape the way you think. You can't go a day. None of us can. You also can't go a day without your inner dialogue 
going crazy. We're always thinking about things. We're always interpreting things. Our inner voice from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed is running nonstop. We're thinking, we're evaluating circumstances, we're evaluating people, we're listening, we're taking things in. We're always telling ourselves what's good, what's bad. We're, we're making evaluative judgments on life. Always our mind is thinking. And this verse here causes us to pause and say in the midst of the noise, in the midst of life and the busyness that life brings, there are things that I must do. I must give myself to know the Word of God. It must be my delight so that I think about it in the day and in the night so that it nourishes me. If you want a fruitful and effective 2019, here it is, friends. If you want to grow and contribute to the growth of our church, becoming a God-glorifying church that is reaching the lost, we must devote ourselves afresh to Scripture. Amen? We must devote ourselves afresh to Scripture. If you would grow, you must devote yourselves afresh to the Word of God. If our church must grow, we must continue to devote ourselves to publicly teaching it, publicly making it known, and then throughout the week and amongst the congregation, the Word of God is reverberating through our lives. Four quick applications. (coughs) Excuse me. And then we'll wrap it up. Four applications for this. First, we must get conviction. Maybe you've never done this. It it all begins by being convinced that you need it. Now, I can't convince you that you need it. Really, it must be the work of the Holy Spirit. But if you, listen, in your own heart, as you evaluate yourself, you say, I I just don't have much of a conviction about the Word of God. I just don't feel like I need it. And maybe I intellectually know I do. I just don't have enough conviction to actually act on what I believe. I'm not reading it much. I'm not thinking about it much. It's not really shaping my life. If that's you, you know God is so gentle with sinners who come humbly to Him. And if you recognize that that's in your own heart, you're not loving the Word of God the way you ought that you could come and confess that to your good Savior, Jesus, and say, Lord, your holy word, you have spoken. You have come near to me in these truths. You have spoken that I might know you, and the infinite God has made known to me his heart, his thoughts, his judgments. They're all here, and they're clear, and I yawn when I think about this. If that's you, you can say that to him. You can confess that to him, and you can ask for forgiveness, and you can ask for new affections, and God loves to help the humble. I don't think any of us, once we understand the value of this book, feel like we give it adequate attention. So maybe all of us sometime this week need to get on our knees and say, God, I don't cherish this as I ought. So help me. Open my eyes that I might see wondrous works from your law. See, this is where 
We see him most clearly. God has spoken. He has written stories for us. He has written poems and prose and history and tragedies and laws and letters. God's thoughts, God's heart, God's viewpoint on the world, all in your hands, inches away from you. You can look at them and see what God is saying, and he is speaking through these. It is living and active. It will change your life. But we must believe that and have conviction that that is true. We might say that we love God and then we don't give any attention to his word. But to the degree that you are honoring his word is the degree that you are honoring him. When David sinned grievously against the Lord. He slept with Bathsheba, who was not his wife. He killed her husband, Uriah. God came to him and said, you have despised the word of the Lord. Interesting way that he put it. You have despised the word of the Lord. And then, in the very next breath, God said, and you have despised me. If you don't have the conviction of your own need for the Word of God, now is a great time to confess it to a forgiving Savior who will transform your heart and give you eyes to see, and it won't necessarily happen overnight, but God will be faithful to you as you come to Him in humility. So first, we need to get conviction. Second application, get a clear plan. You probably heard this saying, he who fails to plan, plans to fail. Uh, if you have the conviction, well, now it's an opportunity to put it into your life. Make a plan. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Plans matter. Make plans about how you're going to devote your time and schedule to God's Word this year. What are you going to do? If you want to take a vacation, you're going to plan for it. You're going to think months in advance. You're going to figure out where you're going. You're going to figure out what you're going to do. You're going to look at your budget. You're going to make your finances all work out, right? Well, the Word of God is, is so valuable. It's more valuable than anything else you could give your life to. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we need to make plans for how we're going to do this. So maybe this year, I can't bind your conscience and say you must do this, but maybe it'd be good this year to have a reading plan. That one that you could find online, reading plan. It starts in January, ends in December, and maybe through it you finish the entire Bible. Maybe you go through different plans that take you through different portions. But let me encourage you as a way to get started, pick up a, something as a tool to get you started reading the Bible. They're all over the place. Maybe also you need to think about when you're going to do it, where you're going to do it. You say, I'm going to read the Bible. We'll start thinking, when? Maybe you'll read in the mornings, or maybe you read before bed, or maybe you read on a lunch break between uh, your work day. It may be something else. I don't know. But the point is, the one who is blessed of God, the one who is prospering in all he does, is meditating day and night on the law of the Lord, Psalm 1 says. So whatever you need to do to make that in your minds so that in the morning you're thinking about it and in the evening you're thinking about it, whatever you need to do to make that happen, make that happen. Get us some sort of plan. 
When you make an appointment with someone, you say, hey, I got lunch with so-and-so at noon on this day, and then someone else comes along and says, hey, can you come with me on that day? Hopefully, you're not the type of person that says, uh, the first commitment I'm just going to throw aside, and I'm ditching it to go do the other thing. When you make appointments, you keep them. Make an appointment, a regular appointment with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to open up His Word, to listen to Him, to reflect on what He has said to you, to meditate on it, to respond to Him in prayer. Get a clear plan. Get conviction. Get a clear plan. Here's here's a third practical application. Get a clear schedule. (laughs) The best plans in the world mean nothing if you don't make any room for them. So what this might mean, guys, it might mean that you have to say no to some other things. It might mean that you need to Say no to the other things that are crowding out your mornings, evenings, or other things. See, that word meditate, think about that, Psalm 1. It's not merely that God's people read the Bible. How many of you know what it's like to rush through a chapter of the Bible and hurry on with your life only to completely forgot what you've read and it has made real no spiritual impact on your day? The word there is meditate. It's a word that it communicates you can't do it quickly. <laughs> you can't do it on the run. It's something that you must slow down to do. In other places in the Bible, it's called waiting on the Lord. Waiting. It's a, there's a time element there. It takes time. Meditation, by its very nature, is something that requires you to slow down, to ponder, to wait, to think about something, to reflect. Uh, One of the things we will say to each other uh, as we talk, as normal human beings do, we will say something like, hey, how are you doing? Haven't seen you in a long time. How's life? And often, how do we respond? Oh, it's busy. Life is busy. And often that's really true. Life is just really busy. And sometimes we fill our lives so full of stuff that we have run out of any margin to give time, reflection to God. Our life is overrun by urgent trivialities. We're like people in a car trying to travel from the West Coast to the East Coast on one tank of gas and we're going 80 on the freeway and we're saying, no, 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 I got to get there to the other side. I don't have time to stop for gas. Well, it sounds good when you're going 80 on the freeway, but what happens? You're going to run out. You're going to have to pull over. Life's going to have to slow down. And so either you build into your own life times of refreshment, meditation, or you just run at a pace so fast that sometimes you just burn out. And it's much more difficult to get back on your feet after one of those. And so clear your schedule. What do you do too much of that just crowds out time of uninterrupted meditation on the Lord. It's going to look different for families with kids than it would for singles, than it would for empty nesters. We'll all do it differently. But sometimes in life, we will accomplish more substantial things by doing less trivial things. George Mueller, one of my heroes, busy man by all accounts, man who started orphanages to care for thousands. He was also pastoring a church. He was raising a family. He was always 
always on call to help with the needs of the things he was caring for. But he was also known for being a man of prayer and devotion to scriptures. By the end of his life, his library consisted of one Bible in a Greek New Testament. He was so devoted to scripture that he read it over and close to 200 times in his life. He accomplished so much, and one biographer reflecting on his life said this, the quantity of service is of far less importance than quality. Quantity of service is far less importance than quality. To do well rather than to do much will be the motto of him whose main purpose is to please God. And he goes on to write how because George Mueller spent the bulk of his time in private prayer and in private communion with God, and because he prioritized that, he was able to accomplish so much in the world for God's glory. In other words, we often flip it around. I want to do things for the Lord. I got to be busy here, busy with this. I got to do that. I got to be here. And we sacrifice that which matters most. And we end up being less effective in the long run. Less triviality, more open schedules, maybe more margin. I read statistically, if the average person replaced social media and TV watching with reading the Bible, they'd finish their entire Bible in a couple weeks. Get through it blazing fast. So let me ask you, what might you need to, not out of a legalistic sense, but is there something that maybe you could put aside for the sake of devoting more energy to reflection? Is there something you could put aside so you could have more thoughtful times in your life where you ponder life? Now here's our last application. Get conviction, get a plan, get a clear schedule, get community help. Don't do it alone. The church is a greenhouse for growing Christians, and we're all meant to do this together. If we are to grow, it must be committed to one another. We must commit to one another. Don't try. If you, at the end of the sermon, <laughs> have some sort of plan that you want to move forward with, I'm going to read the Bible this way, or I'm going to set aside time in this part of my day, I would encourage you, if you have something you're thinking of doing, tell someone. Tell a believer you know and trust and ask for their prayers and help in these things. God intends for the church to aid one another in our efforts to grow. We cannot do it alone. Hebrews says, exhort one another daily. What that means is we need one another's exhortations daily. The, the Hebrews author says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We gather together to root ourselves in Scripture, to remind us of the commitments we've made. In high school, I was as skinny as a rail. Not much has changed. And I also played football, so I needed to get in the gym. And I uh, wasn't very committed on my own. And so I had a friend that was super committed, and we partnered together. And it was often that he would call me, school's over, we're going to the gym, I'll see you there. And I would, yeah, okay. Because someone else was doing it with me, it made me much more committed myself. 
His commitment helped my commitment. The same is true in the church. When we make commitments to follow Christ and we tell others and we do it with them, we encourage one another, don't we? Your commitments encourage me. And hopefully my commitments are encouraging us. And all of us together, as we make commitments to learn from God this year, we will challenge each other and pray for one another and grow together. What a blessing. What a, what a blessing from heaven it is to have a friend who wants to read Scripture with you, to pray with you. What a blessing and privilege it is to be that friend who goes into another person's life and walks with them and helps them understand Scripture, reads it with them, prays with them. Friends, God's Word spoke the universe into existence. God said, let there be, and there was. God's Word will not return void. It will not come back empty. God's Word brings forth spiritual life. When the Spirit is working through the Word, we change. We grow. 2019, this year, we want to grow in Christ. We want to be rooted in Him, built up in Him. We want to be established in the faith. And what that means is that we give ourselves to this precious book, the revelation of our God and Savior. And what we pray will happen when we do that is that we will grow deeper in our understanding of truth, more adoration for Jesus, more love for our church family, more zeal for those who don't know Him yet. And Lord willing, we will see more people repenting and believing. We will see more members added to the church, more families being made strong. We will see another generation being raised in the truth. We will see leaders being developed. We will see missionaries being sent. We will see other churches being strengthened. Why? Because God's Word really is that powerful. It really will do these things in our lives. And so in this year, we take another step toward this direction, these goals, and we do that by going back to the simple, simple means of growth. God's Word being meditated on by God's people. And as we do that, humbly and obediently, we are shaped into buildings that are growing up to be a building that shows the goodness and the glory of our God. Let's pray. So Lord, we do ask you that we might grow. Whatever the cost, we ask that you would grow us, that you would cause us this year to have a conviction so deep that it drives us to spend time meditating on your word to be established in the faith. And we ask that as we do these things that you would provide real spiritual growth. That you would cause us to grow in love of you and love of neighbor. That you would be glorified to demonstrate your power by growing this church. Lord, it is not for our glory that we ask these things, but for yours. And we ask in Jesus' name.
Amen.